We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, regular guest on the show, Joe McCarr. Joe, another disappointing loss for the Nets to the Detroit Pistons tonight, 122-111. How are we feeling, Joe? We're not feeling great. You know, it's I, it's kind of sad that we have to keep coming back to this, but sub-500 teams just give us so much problems, and I think it really just stems from effort, if I'm being honest. Like, we see the effort they place against contenders like the Clippers, uh, the Clippers, the Bucks, and et cetera. And then we see the effort against teams like Cleveland, who should be respected at this point. But Cleveland, Washington, Memphis, Detroit, and these teams seem to give us trouble. And it's not only that. It's like, I don't know if you could tell, but like the body language of the players yep. seems to be off. It's just like nobody besides Bruce Brown looks like they're trying to hurt. Yeah, I think also like the lack of Kevin Durant. I feel like he's a real leader of the team. And like you said... Sure. For some of these games, even the mediocre ones, like no disrespect to Cleveland, they're a solid team, but the Nets are substantially more talented. It's like, all right, guys, if you play hard for three quarters, you can probably take the fourth quarter off. Like, that's what happens when you're a really good team. But we're going to jump into that, plenty of other things. But as always, you can catch the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Joe, I guess let's start with that first play of the game. We see Kyrie hit Joe Harris in the corner for a three-pointer, Nets up 3-0. And it's like, oh, wow, this they might get off to a hot start. Next thing you know, Detroit's on a 13-0 run, and they end up taking a double-digit lead that lasted almost the entire game. Yeah, um, like you said, it was just basically a disadvantage from the start. And that's when you want to just make a good example. You want to set the tone in the early minutes. And I know, hey— Again, not to knock a team like Detroit because they beat us fair and square, but these teams that are lottery teams that are going to be picking in the top five, these are teams that you shouldn't take lightly. Like, I don't know what it is in the postgame comments. 
it's always Kyrie and Harden saying, like, you know, it's a matter of effort. Uh, we can't take these teams lightly. And then the next game, nothing changes. Like, it's still, we're still on here talking about, hey, what went wrong against this sub-500 team where on paper the Nets just had more talent and couldn't get it done? Yeah, and I think, like you said, Joe, it's from the start you want to set the tone in. They kind of let these teams get comfortable. And this is kind of a thing that's been an issue for the Nets over the past couple seasons. But the excuse in the past is like, hey, they're they're not as talented. Like this team is super talented and they're just not showing that type of effort. Like Detroit, yeah, they have some solid players and they've beat some good teams this year. But they have plenty of issues with their roster that you can attack these guys. And like the one dude that's pretty good on Detroit, Jeremy Grant. And what happened tonight? You know, Jeremy Grant got hot, had 30 plus points, shot over 50% from the field, 50% from three. And it's just like, I know Nets fans kind of always are like, well, this guy's having a career night against the Nets. Well, there's a reason why. It's the Nets defense and the lack of effort and just allowing players to get so comfortable. If you get that comfortable, you're just going to feel more confident even when the defense picks up in, later in the game. And Jack and I kind of always discuss that. And it's just like, like you said, Joe, you need to set the tone. What do you think the Nets need to do going into tomorrow's game to set the tone differently than what we saw tonight? Is it just, hey, Kyrie, James Harden, go out there, play defense? Or is it DeAndre Jordan or is it the whole team? It's pretty much the whole team. One thing I did like, you remember that possession, I think it was in the third quarter, where Bruce Brown, he couldn't make the layup, but he kept yep. hustling for the offensive boards, and he looked like a man amongst boys at that possession. So yeah. I feel like his energy just needs to carry on to the rest of the team because a lot of these points the Nets are giving up aren't like, okay, it was a well-contested shot. It's okay. There was a confusion on the switch here. Yeah. There was some type of miscommunication where somehow this guy is wide open for a dunk or this guy's getting an uncontested uh, hook shot that's six feet away from the basket so basically communication just everyone coming with energy it shouldn't be like once the other team scores that it looks like the team is deflated and okay we'll just get the points back on offense once you set the tone early set the tone on defense it'll carry over to the other side yeah, and I think that was a great point, Joe. It's like a lot of the time you see wide open shots and a lot of it is a result of miscommunication or somebody getting a mismatch like tonight. A big issue was, yeah, we get it. The Nets want to be a switching team, but you don't switch just every time. Like it's just <laughs> benefiting the other team. And all Detroit was doing in the third quarter was sending uh, Delano right into the corner and Bruce Brown was switching on to him and then Kyrie was on J uh, Jeremy Grant. And that's just a mismatch. Like even if Kyrie was Kyle Lowry, like you still wouldn't feel great about a 6'9", 6'8", wing player who's having one of the best seasons of his career this year going at this guy. So it's like there's so many different elements of why the defense isn't successful. And then it's also the fact is like they'll make a good defensive play and either they won't finish the possession by getting the rebound or they'll miss the last rotation so they end up giving the open three. And it, it's extremely frustrating to watch, I think, probably for the coaching staff, for the players. And I think that's what you're seeing out there, too. Like you mentioned, Joe, so many guys seem deflated because it's like, oh, shit, like I made my rotation, I made my play, and now my teammate didn't make the same rotation or we're on a completely different page, and now two guys are covering one and somebody got a wide-open layup. Is there anybody that you thought, other than Bruce Brown tonight, played solid defense? Or do you think everyone else was just kind of had their hot and cold moments tonight or do you actually do you want to talk about deandre jordan who looked like he got uh, yelled at a few times by james harden got talked to by steve nash about his defensive effort we saw in the first quarter yeah i know bleacher report tweeted that out and said look at james harden like helping his teammates and i know like when i was watching with my parents they were like oh this, this might be bad but honestly this is what you like to see you like to see yep. guys like james harden who are expected to be not only the stars of the team but the vocal leaders of the team when you're a player of that caliber. You like to see him holding a player like DeAndre accountable. You know, DeAndre has been in this league for, what, 12, 13 yeah. years? He's, he's a double-digit double digit veteran 
in terms of years. And it's just like simple mistakes, like not contesting shots, um, moving a little slow-footed. And with DeAndre, I feel like his problem is the same as the Nets. I feel like he's, of course, not like a great defender that he once was. I feel like he's definitely capable. It's just a matter of effort. It's a matter of, okay, knowing where do I have to be at this time? And when a guard switches, I notice DeAndre doesn't always step up and it gives them an open look. So I feel like overall, that energy just has to like reciprocate to the whole team. But it starts with DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Joe, because like he's not a great defender anymore, but he's more capable than what we've seen this season. And we've seen occasional flashes where it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, when he shows effort, like he doesn't look that bad. And he's a big dude. Like he's still seven feet tall and he's got a body on him. Like he can throw his weight around down there, too. It's just like a lot of times, like he just doesn't finish the play. Like he'll start contesting and then like all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, maybe that takes too much energy. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like getting in shape. But the craziest thing, too, is that and Jack always brings this up is like you see him get up for the oops. How many times have we seen him get up for blocks like that this year? Like, he'll occasionally get a block, but usually it's coming when the defender doesn't see him at all. He just, like, does not play with that same type of effort and energy. The Nets really need him to because that's, like, the role he has in his team. Catch oops, dunk the ball, play defense and rebound. And it just, like, I'm not sure if it's maybe at a point for DeAndre where it's physically he's unable to do it. Like, maybe his body's just giving out on him a little bit. You know, bigger guys, they age a little bit faster. Do you think that could be a possibility just physically up there in age and he just doesn't have the same motor that he once had? I do think that's definitely a possibility. We're not going to be saying, seeing the same DeAndre Jordan that was demolishing Brandon Knight off of alley <laughs> and stuff like that. But like you said, yes, rim running centers and specifically ones that rely on athleticism, and that's primarily DeAndre Jordan, yep. their games generally don't age well. And you see this with a lot of players, uh, primarily guards, but just a lot of players in general. As they get older, if there's someone who relied on athleticism, they counteract it by becoming a better shooter. So yep. Jason Kidd, early in his career, was not the greatest shooter. As he they got called him Ace and Kidd. Exactly. No, <laughs> Jay. As he got older, you started to see, okay, when Jason Kidd had his latter years with the Mavericks, with the Knicks, etc., he became a reliable three-point shooter. We're talking like upper 30s, even I think he hit low 40s one year. Yeah, he, I believe he's top 10 all the time in three-pointers made. Yeah, <laughs> now that's insane. Imagine telling someone that in like 2001. Like, they wouldn't believe you. But same with Derrick Rose. Athletically gifted, now still athletic, but a little less more. So how's he counteracting it? I believe last year or the year before, he had his best shooting year of his career. So and He's more crafty yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. It's knowing, okay... My body isn't quite capable, and this goes for big men too. My body isn't quite capable of what it used to be capable of athletically, but this is how I can counteract that. I could do that by still being the vocal leader. And like you said, you actually brought up a good point that I didn't think about. This is a guy who could still throw down some really impressive dunks. Like three, four times a game, we're seeing wide open lane dunks. We're seeing alley-oops where he's still skying high. So why can't you do that on the opposite end? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I wish we could ask DeAndre that. But like you said, you know, maybe it's something with the age. I'm not really sure. Some of the effort just consistently getting there. We'll kind of see what happens I, at this point in time. Like we've we've been kind of talking on the buzz is, you know, DeAndre is a backup center. You know, he can't really start. He can't get big minutes and he's become a liability out there. He just doesn't have that same motor that he once had. But Joe, who do you want to talk about next in terms of players? Little positives, like I said, Bruce Brown, just even if he's not making his shots, like on that one play we saw, he couldn't buy a layup. He's just always crashing the boards. If Bruce Brown was 6'10", this would be a top 10 center in the NBA. <laughs> um, besides him, 
Shamit didn't look great, but I still I'm encouraged by the signs I'm seeing from him. And I don't want to see him start to like struggle or lose confidence. Like you said, even his misses now look good. His makes, like this is the Landry Shamit I expected. And like I said, nobody could really click a hundred percent in this game, but I was encouraged from what I saw from Shamit. Yeah, I think Shamit offensively is starting to find his rhythm and just, you know, two a two from three, that's fine. You know, hit a layup in this game. A couple plays weren't really there. I think the real issue for him defensively. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is the fact that he's so undersized and the Nets continually play multi multiple guard lineups and the other teams are just attacking those guys and they're getting inside and the rotations are already weak. So I think it just becomes a little bit more apparent. But like you said, good to see the three point shot going down. I love Bruce Brown. I mean, like you said, if he if he was six ten, he'd be one of the best centers in the league. He just plays with that type of energy. Nine rebounds tonight, four steals, you know, a couple points. Not necessarily, you know, a dominant offensive force, but you feel that energy, you feel that effort out there. And he's one guard that the Nets can get away with playing out there because he's so versatile. He's so strong and he's willing to really bang with Jeremy Grant, Blake Griffin, whoever it is. You really like what you see from uh, Bruce Brown. But I guess Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Talking about a guy who didn't necessarily have a good night, Joe Harris. You know, Jack's not here, so we can say a little bit of negative thing about him. Uh, six, six points, two of six from the field, two of six from three. Joe just really never got a rhythm tonight, and he just kind of fell out of sync. Yeah, not like a terrible, terrible game from Harris. It wasn't like one of those, okay, he's a liability, get him off the court. But definitely not what we're used to seeing from Joe. Um, I think that just stems from, quite honestly, the looks that other players are getting. So, for example, if Kyrie Irving is having himself a game, if Durant, who wasn't playing tonight, or James Harden look like they're unstoppable, then it's a matter of, okay, we need to take the ball out of their hands. Who's going to be open? Joe Harris. Now, today, with the offense not really clicking, 
everyone kind of just stuck to their men. And I feel like it was a little hard for Joe Harris to get looks because even six attempts for Joe Harris, that's definitely less than what we're used to seeing. Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think it not only was it the stars not playing well, but the offense just lacked rhythm and synergy. You know what I mean? The, the ball wasn't fizzing around, and that's usually when you get those open threes because guys are going to stick to Joe on the three-point line. It's when those multiple rotations happen where he gets those open looks. So, And he just looked a little, I don't know, he just looked a little uncomfortable. Everybody's kind of due for a bad game out there. Talking about another guy who probably didn't take enough shots, and I think this has kind of been an issue for Nets fans, James Harden had a, a good game, you know, 24 points, five blocks, two steals, 12 assists, six rebounds, eight of 14 from the field, seven of seven from the free throw line, did have seven turnovers, but overall I would say it's a good game, but like this is a game where you want to see James Harden shoot 20 times, like shoot your damn step back threes that we watched for the last three years in Houston, like I would be okay if you want to shoot eight threes or ten threes tonight. No, exactly, and I remember seeing this stat. I think it was like the one-year anniversary about a month ago. It was James Harden, Player of the Week, and he was averaging, as crazy as this sounds, I think over that week he was averaging like 51 points per game, yeah. which yeah. is honestly like un unheard of. The only player that does that is Wilt, and Wilt is a human cheat code for all we're talking about. But anyway, we don't even need that level of James Harden. We just need him to say, okay, Joe Harris is the second-best player on the floor right now. I'm going to be more aggressive. I'm going to yep. put my shot up now. And I like that he's willing to sacrifice. Don't get me wrong. Because originally, when the trade sent him to Brooklyn, everyone was talking about, oh, there's only one basketball. All these guys shoot a ton of shots. This isn't going to work. But the fact that Harden has openly said, hey, I, I just want to win. And <laughs> clearly, we believe him now. Like, he's not – I don't want to say he's not shooting, but he's not shooting as much as we'd like him to. Because even if it's a step back three from Joe, not Joe Harris, from James Harden, it might be a better shot than, okay, let's try to run this swerve play where somehow we'll try to get a shooter open and then he's not open because Detroit knows what we're doing. And then we got to take this, what I call the 911 shot with three seconds left on the shot clock. So we would like to see James Harden be a little more aggressive. The stats are there, but I feel like the aggressiveness that we saw in Houston needs to translate over especially on a night where Kyrie Irving was off. You know, his finger obviously bothering him. His jumper just wasn't quite as smooth from the start. It's like, like you said, Joe, it's like a James Harden step back three is probably better than a, any attempt from a TLC, any attempt from a Bruce Brown, you know, even looking at, you know, Landry Shamit over the course of the season, even Jeff Green to an extent, you know, on certain plays, like, James Harden's step back three is solid offense. He's hit that at a high clip, especially when the second unit is struggling and you need someone to take over. Tonight would have been great to get one of those 40 or 50 point James Harden games. I'm not sure how much that is just like his fit in this new team, trying to fit in or whatever it is, but some more aggressiveness would be nice. And obviously if we could translate what Kyrie did tonight into James Harden, that'd probably be a little bit more effective at times. Like I mentioned, struggle tonight, 12 of 28, two and nine from three, 27 points. And just, you know, was getting beat a little bit defensively, too. What do you think of Kyrie's game? Yeah, Kyrie on a nightly basis. Some days he looks a little above average defensively. And I'm like, oh, OK, like the effort is definitely there. He's getting steals. He's staying in front of his man. Other nights like today, just the story of the whole Nets applies to Kyrie in this case. You can just tell something is a little off. And yep. I don't know if it was his finger. I don't know if it just was an effort standpoint. But something was definitely off with Kyrie today. Still got his usual amount of points, but at what cost? You know, this is a guy who usually, I know we hold him to a very high standard, but he usually shoots over 50% from the field, over 40% from three. And just trying to create those looks today, we saw even the shots he was making, he wasn't quite getting the same amount of space and the same amount of shot creation that we're used to seeing from him.
Yeah, it felt a more isolation today, and obviously we've seen a lot of isos over the course of the season, but less in the flow of the offense. You know, some credit to Detroit for disrupting things and playing with high energy, but again, I think the Nets kind of let teams off easy a lot because they have so much offensive talent and run a couple sets, run a couple plays. Like, there's certain things the Nets can do out there that just put so much pressure on the defense that it's like there's not really many options. And we've seen that happen in the games against the Clippers, against the Bucks, against the Nuggets, you know, against some of these really good teams. And it's like, all right, when you play the Pistons, you can still run those sets, do those same things. It's probably going to be more effective, even more efficient. So, and like you mentioned with the defense with Kyrie, like the effort wasn't terrible, but again, he's just so undersized that he has to play with such a high effort. And I think also like a couple of plays in this game, he lost focus, missed his rotation, his guy cut to the rim or, you know, moved up top on the wing for a three. It's just like those small plays where you really need your stars to help set the tone. Also, given that there's not enough like, great defenders you know when you have a Jared Allen he cleans up a lot of mistakes the Nets don't have anybody to clean up mistakes you know Kevin Durant when he comes back and do some of that but you don't want to ask him to do that so everybody has to do their job defensively and we're just not getting that exactly and I know it it just all stems from defense and I said this before the season started and it's very clear now nobody really believed me back then but I said this before the season the Nets have three above average defenders on the roster before opening night and in my mind, that was Bruce Brown, that was Kevin Durant, and that was Jared Allen. Yeah, One of I think them that's now fair. Gone. Yeah. yeah. One of them, our best interior defender, where we're giving up like 50 points in the paint per game. Our best interior defender is now in Cleveland. So that leaves two, one of which who wasn't playing tonight. And Bruce Brown who's more inclined towards perimeter defense because you don't necessarily want to see a guy who's six foot four guarding seven footers in the paint. Yeah, no, I agree, Joe, and I think that's an obvious issue here. You know, obviously there's some hope that maybe, you know, Noah Vonley could help in that area or Mont Shumpert, but to be honest, neither of those guys were ever elite defenders. They're more of the high-energy effort guys. So, and, you know, we saw Norvell Pell play tonight. I'm not sure he's going to be the answer. What have you thought about Norvell Pell and the short sample size we've seen of him? Pell, yeah. I mean, when he was signed, I knew he wasn't going to be the immediate solution. Pell is more like the glue guy until we get Nick Claxton back, until we can see what this team is capable of with a center who's, as I say, Norvell Pell is just very raw. He's basically a Walmart version. I've compared him to, he's just an athlete. You know what I mean? He's not really a basketball player. He's seven feet tall. He can jump really high, but he's still working on it. Yep. He's a Walmart version of Mitchell Robinson. Fouls a lot. (laughs) finishes lobs. Uh, that's the best comparison I can make. He, in yep. a sense, is like that energy guy. Best as a third-string center, if I'm being honest. But because of this massive hole at center, he's getting minutes. And I don't, I'm not ready to write the kid off yet. But so far, he did struggle tonight. There were some encouraging signs in Philly, but he did also foul out in, I don't remember the minutes, but it was it not a lot, a lot of minutes. Yeah. It was maybe like 12 or 14 minutes. Do you think at this point that Reggie Perry might be a better option as a backup center than uh, Norvell Pell? Obviously, we're going to give Pell probably a few more opportunities, and I think Noah Vonley is probably better than both guys. But at this point, I feel like Reggie Perry probably did a little bit more than Norvell Pell. He just lacks the the length and the athleticism. But in terms of feel for the game, I felt like Reggie Perry looked more like a veteran than Norvell Pell, which is crazy to say. I'm actually going to agree with you. Even in terms of knowing where to be on the court at what time, I feel like Perry had the slight advantage. Like Perry, for example, do you remember that game? He was just running pick and rolls with Harden. Like he understood, okay, Harden's going to be my playmaker. He's going to draw the double team. I'm going to be wide open under the rim. And 
Perry, I think it was like the game against the Wizards or one or two games before they sent him down. I think he actually had a double-double. I think it was 10 points, 11. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And in my mind, I was like, oh, he's starting to get like a little feel for the game. And like I said, none of these guys, especially like I know we're all high on Nick Claxton. We also got to keep in mind he's only played about 12 NBA games. So I do expect him to struggle too, although he is more ready than the guys we're talking about. But and in terms I think of the character- one thing with Claxton yeah. that'll help too, Joe, just throw it out there, is the fact that he's such a, a great athlete, and that's right. that kind of helps you clean up. Exactly. Yeah, that was a big thing for Jared Allen when he was a rookie. Like he didn't understand the game, but he his recovery speed was so great and his athleticism was there that he could just make up for those plays. And then you add that with energy and effort. That's why I have some hope in Nick Claxton. But like you said, he's super young. You can't expect him to come in and be an all defensive player and for change sure. this Nets roster. But like you said. That was the same thing they were saying about Jared Allen yeah. at the time. And, you know, this Nets player development, do, do not count them out. Especially, do you remember, I don't know if you remember reading all of this, Amari Stoudemire, um, the impact he was having on Jared Allen. Yeah. Jared Allen was just saying, like, every game, like, wow, like, working with Amari has been great. He's taught me stuff that because he was playing in the game himself, I probably wouldn't have learned this from any assistant coach. And... I don't know what I don't know what Stoudemire was doing, but Jared Allen was having himself a breakout year before he got traded and now after the trade. And I feel like if he can even unlock part of that potential with Claxton, who Claxton, he's mobile, he's really a modern big, he's a big guard, he knows how to run the court, he could hit the occasional three, then it's Claxton's backup center job to lose, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential, a lot of versatility, the options to play him with Jeff Green, with Kevin Durant. I think, you know, it'll be really fun, obviously. We've got an update on him. He, you know, he had a recent flare-up. So if I had to make a guess, I don't think we'll see Nick Claxton probably until the second part of the season. I think they're going to take it really slow with him, given the injury is a pretty much similar to tendonitis. It's not something that just magically goes away. Yeah, it's persistent. Yep. So, But uh, Jeff Green, who's pretty much been you know, the best center on the Nets roster, <laughs> even though he's enough to the size, but small ball centers are the new thing these days. What did you think of Jeff Green's game? I thought you know, he was solid, not anything crazy. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Green shooting so hot this season, you know it's only a matter of time before he starts to cool off. Just because, yep. and no offense to Jeff Green, these numbers aren't sustainable. Like, yeah. I have a hard time believing for the season He's going to be shooting 52% from three. Like, I, as sad as this is, I do expect those numbers to drop. And if he's even shooting, like, low 40s, like, yes, that's regression from what we're used to. But if you look at the end of the year and say we got Jeff Green on a minimum contract who shot 50% from the field, 40% from three, and, like, whatever, 75 80% from the line, while playing good defense, he's a guy who doesn't have an ego whatsoever. He's KD's friend then I think you just look back at this and say, yeah, he wasn't perfect every night like tonight. Uh, wasn't quite making his shots every night. But this is a guy who was a really great, solid signing for us. Yeah, I mean, it could end up being a career year in terms of shooting numbers. Like you said, they're not going to stay that high. But even if they were able to stay close to the 40s in terms of that three-point percentage, I think the Nets would be really happy. Um, we talked Kyrie, we talked James Harden, we talked DeAndre, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown. TLC played tonight 19 minutes, only shot three times, one of three had three points. I thought he had some good energy plays. I feel like for TLC, this was a game where like he didn't play well, but he didn't play so bad where I like recall watching him make so many mistakes. So like part of me is like, this is okay. Yeah. And 
I'm not even gonna lie. I barely remember watching TLC play. So and he played 19 honest, minutes. That's a, yeah, that's not a that's not a terrible sign. The fact I remember that one Harden fed him in the corner for that corner yep. three. And I was like, okay, like get in your rhythm because we know TLC is complete rhythm in terms of look at his numbers in the bubble. Like this man was putting up 20 a game on insane shooting. Like when he's hot, he's hot. But at, on the other end of the spectrum, when he's cold. We know he's, he's really cold, like Alaska in the middle of the winter, one of nine shooting from three. So I don't have anything bad to say about TLC tonight. He's not a perfect player, but again, he's essentially one of these guys who was come in, came in on a 10-day contract who they've now developed to a borderline back of the rotation player. I can't say he's a surefire, this is a guy we play, but wasn't yeah, bad. I, I commend him fringe top 10 in your rotation you know in the ideal situation you don't want to play him but i think there's still a chance he can develop into some of that because like you see flashes and it's just like he lacks the feel sometimes the basketball iq but joe i think we pretty much covered everyone in terms of the players in this game now just like going back to the actual game itself like i mentioned 122 111 the pistons got the dub and it was a game where the pistons had the lead majority of the time the nets were able to make a couple runs get it within five get it within three what do you think was the biggest factor in the loss? Is some of it just the Pistons being bigger? Has that played a role in this? Or is it really just come down to the Nets' effort, energy level, and focus? I do think it's a combination of both. Um, like I said earlier, it can't be job. every game. Yeah, it can't be every game in the post-game conference we're hearing, yeah, we just need to not play down to our opponent. We need to do a better job at respecting them and going out and competing against like a 5-18 and 18 team the way we compete against an 18-5 and 5 team. Like, I like that you're saying that, but now, like, hey, put your money where your mouth is. Like, you can't just keep saying this and then downplaying to your opponent the next game. Like, part of it is definitely effort. Part of it is definitely size, as you said. Like, Brooklyn, as we know, this is not a final product yet. They're still working out rotation spots. There's still uh, exceptions to be used. And Detroit, as much as we were clowning them in the offseason for signing every center available, like, Look how that worked tonight. They're the ones with the size. They're the ones who had the mismatches. And they're the ones who just got whatever they wanted throughout this whole game. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think a majority of it was effort. I think size did play some factors. But I also felt like the Nets didn't capitalize on strengths or weaknesses of the Pistons teams, uh, of the team. You know, playing up on some guys who you don't necessarily need to go over the screen for or not going over screens on guys who are great three-point shooters. And then just like we mentioned earlier, some of the switching. I think just like a combination of so many different factors, but I think it all really comes down to effort and focus. And if those things are cleaned up, I think it also gives us a better opportunity of really breaking down this team and understanding where the weaknesses are. Because if you, they're not playing hard, it's really hard to determine how much of it is them just not playing hard or they're actually being a deficiency in terms of size, strength, or whatever type of issue the team is having. Exactly. And honestly, I don't think people realize this, but by them, quote, not playing hard, that kind of makes it tough on Sean Marks and Steve Nash because yeah. Nash and Marks have a hard time assessing, okay, is this an effort thing or do we actually need help at these positions? Do we actually need to go out, search the trade market before the deadline and pick up a guy like JaVale McGee or Dwayne Dedman or whoever might be available. So the quicker the Nets could kind of put it together and establish their identity of this is who we are, these are our strengths, these are our weaknesses, the easier time it is come postseason time, come buyout market when Sean Mark's going to say, okay, this team struggles with rebounding, let's sign X free agent. 
Yeah, no, I agree, Joe. I think it would make life easier for Steve Nash, too. I think also some of that's like the whole season with the COVID protocol and Kevin Durant being out. You know, it's hard to build up that synergy when the biggest part of your team is missing time. So I agree. I think regardless, even if without seeing anything rest of the season, the Nets do need to find probably another defensive forward slash wing. Somebody they can defender for sure. Yeah. Some like somebody they can throw out like a Jeremy Grant. Like, to be honest, like the Nets didn't have a single body on the roster tonight with Kevin Durant being out that could impact Jeremy Grant if he's feeling hot. You know, Jeff Green could do his best, but he's not an elite defender. He's up there in age. He's 34 years old. Like, and everyone else is giving up two or three inches there. So Kevin Durant would be the only option. And that's also another thing is you don't necessarily want to put that all on KD, but we'll see what Sean Marks does, what Steve Nash does with the rotation. Joe, any other thoughts on tonight's game? That's all I got. Hashtag free seven. We miss you, Kevin Durant. I know you like Jack's tweet if you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> Any Anything you're expecting tomorrow against the Pacers? Obviously a back-to-back going back to Brooklyn, which it feels like they haven't had as many of these, like, hey, we're not going to show up games in Brooklyn. It seems like more of a road thing. But any specific thing that you're expecting tomorrow or not expecting? I agree. Um, it does seem to be more of a road thing. Um, what I'm expecting tomorrow, the Pacers usually give us problems. If I'm being honest, like I yep. still have flashbacks to points in the paint. Year. Sabonis eats in oh, there. Oh yeah, I was just gonna bring that up. You remember last year, Sabonis like kind of it wasn't really a push off, but DeAndre Jordan somehow wound up like behind I was at the, the game basket. with Corey. You were at the, okay, yeah, even better. Not under the basket. He wound up behind the basket because Sabonis is just too strong. Yep. Miles Turner is just bigger than any guy in the Nets roster not named DeAndre Jordan. Um, their guard play, Malcolm Brogdon's playing great. Um, so this is just something to monitor. I feel like tomorrow's going to be another tough game for Brooklyn. But I do think they come out with a little bit more heart and passion than they showed tonight. Yeah, Pacers aren't necessarily playing their best basketball at the moment, but it also is the fact that they're the type of team that's not going to give away a win. You know, they typically make you earn wins. They exactly. play basketball the right way. And like you said, Sabonis ate DeAndre Jordan in the paint last year. I'm not sure what's going to happen in this game. Pacer, and even Goga's been playing pretty well off the bench for them in, in some minutes. So Pacers are going to be a good test in the terms of, yeah, maybe they're not an elite team, a contender, but they're one of these pretty good teams, and they could end up being the Nets' first-round matchup in the playoffs. Agreed. And as we know, hey, we need interior defense and set the table because the Pacers are going to feast tomorrow on us. Yeah, 100%. All right, Joe, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Like I mentioned before, you can catch us on all streaming platforms. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.